the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a three-word sentence in the Bible, a verse in the Bible, that describes what God is. I'm going to give you the first two words to this three-word sentence and see if you can complete it. Here it goes. God is love. God is love. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. I've stayed in tents when it was immensely hot outside. It was not fun. I've stayed in tents when I've heard noises that I didn't know what they were. And it was not fun. And every time I've stayed in a tent, I've thought, thank you, Jesus, this is my temporary home. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about the body, the physical being of us as humanity, as having temporary, earthly tents. In fact, the older we get, the more we realize how temporary these are, right? They begin to break in, break down, and it's like those physical tents. They have holes in them, and they begin to fall apart. So the body is temporary, but this is what the Bible says about that body. Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, brothers, present your bodies as what? Does anybody know what it says? As a living sacrifice. Now, isn't that interesting? Paul was writing to a group of people who would understand what it meant to present a sacrifice. Jewish people. And so what they were used to doing is to present a sacrifice on the altar. An animal sacrifice. But Paul was saying, as you follow Christ now, this physical body you have becomes a living sacrifice. So it makes sense when we look at the verse, it says, with your whole being, with your body, with your soul and your spirit, every bit of that is presented to God. That's your body. But let's, let's look at the second part, your spirit. Spirit is the word pneuma, pneuma. So just like part of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, we have a spirit. And guess this, get this, your spirit lives Forever. Your body dies. Your body wears out. In fact, I was reading in the Psalms this morning, starting in Psalm 91 to Psalm 95. But in Psalm 90, you know what it says? Dr. Stock, how many years does it say the physical body is given by Scripture? 70 years. And then it says, and for some 80. And then it says... But if it's that, it's not without trouble. That's why my daddy, who's 83, says, son, getting old is not for sissies. Because the body wears down. And listen, as hard as it is for us when we love those people in our little corner of the world, the body dies. But the spirit lives on. And your spirit 
will spend eternity somewhere. There's only two options. According to Scripture, your spirit will either spend eternity united with Christ in a place the Bible calls heaven. And by the way, the, the Bible says that in heaven, we get a new body. And there's no more crying. And there's no more pain. Thank you, Jesus. Or your spirit spends eternity in a place called hell. And hell is a place of torment where pain is the constant reality. And so when we think about the spirit, the big question we have to resolve is, where is my spirit going to spend forever? And that's why, unapologetically, anytime you hear us teach God's word here, we will always end, even if that's not been the focus of the message, we will always end with making sure you know how to ensure that your spirit is with God forever. But then thirdly, there's the soul. And the soul is really what we're focusing on today because the soul in that original language is the word psyche. And that sounds familiar, right? It's where we get the word psychology. And what does a psychologist do? They tell us to sit down and talk about what we are feeling. And so the soul, our psyche, is made up of three parts also. Our psyche is made up of the mind, the will, and and the emotions. The mind is what we think. It's those facts, those things that we know in our head. Our will is what we want to do. How many of you have ever had a time in your life where you say, I know what I should do, but I want to do something different? That is the mind at contrast with the will. But then we have the emotions, and the emotions are what I feel. So our soul has what we think, what we want, and what we feel. And all of these are supposed to be governed by Luke ten twenty seven. What is Luke ten twenty seven? What is the Lord required of you? But that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. The love of God for a Christ follower should govern every aspect of your life. That's why in the Old and New Testament, there is no stuttering about the greatest commandment. The greatest command is that God has your all. That your love, your devotion, your passion is for him without question. Why? Because God made your whole being. Even the emotions. We see this in Jesus. Did you know that Jesus was a deeply emotional in his humanity? Listen to some of the way Jesus is described in Scripture. He felt compassion. He was angry. He was indignant. He was, he was consumed with zeal. He was troubled and greatly distressed. He was very sorrowful and depressed. He was deeply moved. He was grieved. He sighed. He wept. He groaned. He sobbed. But he was also surprised, amazed. He rejoiced. He was full of joy. And he loved. Jesus felt deeply and you're created in his image so you should feel deeply too throughout scripture we see the deep emotion of God he expresses joy and anger wrath and jealousy grieving, compassion, love he created emotions he cares about your emotions but understand this 
God claims control of your emotions. Your feelings are a natural part of your human condition created in God's image. But they are to be controlled under the touch of his hand. Your feelings are not to run rampant based on the circumstances of your given moment. We could talk so much more, but this is not a psychology class, is it? I do want to give you one resource. In fact, let me give you two. Uh, I want to remind you each and every week, but there's a good little fun book to read called Everybody Always by Bob Goff. I think as you pick this up, it'll help you understand how what you do should be controlled by that feeling of compassion and love. But today, I'm going to give you a second book that comes in in a little more depth. It's called The Happy Christian by David Murray. The Happy Christian by David Murray. And he gives you 10 steps to joy in the Christian's life. But he does this looking at the mind and our emotions also through a scientific lens. And I would encourage you maybe to pick that up if you think it's relevant. So while our feelings are a natural part of the human conditions, we also understand that emotions, neither good nor bad, but our feelings are never neutral. Why do I say our feelings are never neutral? Well, that's what I mentioned to you before. The way you feel is being controlled by someone or something. So let's do a little test. Don't respond publicly. When you came in here today, you were feeling in a particular way. Some of you were stressed. I leave early on Sunday mornings. I'm kind of in the zone. My wife is always getting a household ready to come to church. Usually when she's walking in, it's like some of you, particularly as moms, you're just like, we made it. Some of you came in feeling mad because as you were gathering family or not gathering family, even the fact of your being here became a tense discussion. Some of you are feeling overwhelmed because no day of the week, including Sundays, can you get aside from the financial pressure or the job pressure or the marriage pressure or the physical pressure that you're feeling And so you come into this room and you're feeling a certain way. And then what happens? You come in contact with other human beings who, though created in God's image, also have emotions. And so someone says what dumb church members often say is, wow, I hadn't seen you in a long time. And you just feel angry. Or someone says, hey, what's your name? And you think, I've met you six times. (laughs) And you just feel lonely. And these things, something or someone, affect your feelings. One of the best lessons I've learned in life is that we all are the way we are for a reason. If you can learn that in a marriage, if you can learn that in a work relationship or a school relationship, that's going to help you get along with people because you're not always just going to be clawing at one another, you're going to try to get behind the response and say, wonder why they're feeling what they feel. You're going to get to that reality. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. 
It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Well, what I want you to understand is no matter what that reality, we never excuse wrong attitudes and actions because of our feelings. Now, a child does that, right? We once again have a small child in our house, so sometimes the disciplinary process becomes kind of intense. They've done something they know is wrong, and so I say, why did you do that? And what does a child often say? I felt like it. Well, that does not justify wrong attitudes and actions. And guess what? A child that doesn't correct that and subject that to the hand of God grows into an adult who lives that way. And so your spouse asks you, why are you acting that way? I just feel like it. Well, why didn't you do what we've talked about? I didn't feel like it. Why'd you stop coming to church? It didn't feel right. And we begin to be governed by feelings that are unhealthy. Feelings can be negative and lead to sinful attitudes and actions. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher. He said, there's nothing so deluded as feelings. Christians cannot live by feelings. What right have you to set up your feelings against the word of Christ? Oh, that's why I believe this is one of the most important messages you'll ever hear in any church. This simple truth. 25 years I've come in contact with professing Christ followers who make dumb decisions. And it comes down to what they felt like. I felt like I should do this. I want to tell you something. The God of your feelings will never cause you to feel in a way that's contrary to his perfect word. So if you feel like God said do something and it doesn't line up from with his word, I've got news for you. You're wrong. And you're out of the will of God. We have to subject our feelings to the truth of his word. And when we don't, we always get into trouble. Let me give you some examples of negative feelings that affect us. One of the most common is anger, right? Again, we learned this one as a child. We get angry. Sometimes, sometimes my little five-year-old will get this face and she'll just say, I am so angry. I mean, we, I don't know. We don't have to learn that. We just get angry. Well, the Bible teaches us that there can be righteous anger, but it's very clear that we can sin in our anger. And so we're told not to get angry to the point that it causes us to sin. And we're taught never to let the sun go down on our anger. Well, what's happening when we sin in our anger? Here's what we believe. We believe someone else owes us a debt, and that perceived debt begins to control us. And that feeling of anger is what's guiding us, and it's unhealthy. 
Then there's the feelings of guilt and shame. Like anger, guilt and shame can be healthy. In fact, if I'm a Christian and I sin, what do I experience? Conviction of the Holy Spirit. We may call that guilt. It may feel shameful to us. And that is natural. That's why the Bible has given us what I like to call God's ivory soap. It's 1 John 1, 9. If I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. If I've got Christ living in me, I don't have to go to a priest or a pastor to confess my sin. I go straight to God and I experience his cleansing and his forgiveness. That's the powerful touch of God's grace in my life. But if I don't experience that, or if I experience that and hold on to guilt, what do I begin to feel? I begin to feel that I have a debt that I owe that I can't pay. And that debt, just like the debt when it comes to anger, that debt begins to control me and it becomes unhealthy. Let's think of another emotion or feeling that we have. How about the feeling of greed? When I'm greedy, here's what I feel. I feel that I'm owed something I don't have. I'm owed whatever I can get. It's another way of saying it's all about me. I deserve what I've got. But like other sinful emotions, when that begins to control me, that debt, I'm unhealthy. And let me give you the last two, fear and worry. Because I think that's probably the most common in this group, fear and worry. And the irony of this, it's, it's kind of a natural part of our human condition, and yet God speaks very clearly about both of these. In fact, someone's noted that 365 times, one for every day of the year, God says this, do not be afraid. And so I want to remind you that fear, when fear is controlling our life, there's only one kind of appropriate fear. This is huge, people. There's only one kind of appropriate fear, and that is fear of God. So fear of God is what we call that awe or that reverence, where I live in awe and reverence of the holiness of God. If I am living in fear of man, that's sinful. It's controlling me. Same thing with worry. The Bible says that worry is a sin. That's why it says, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will then guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. I'm I'm told not to worry. Why? Because when I have fear and I'm controlled by that, or I worry and I'm controlled by that, what I'm implying is, listen, this is a common thread. I'm implying God owes me a debt that he's not paying. Now, what's the common theme in all four of those emotions? There's a debt, and I'm controlled by the debt. Here's the irony. The gospel, the message of Christianity, the truth of Scripture is that we did have a debt. We had a debt we could not pay, but he paid a debt he did not owe. And when Jesus Christ took on your sin debt and my sin debt on the cross of Calvary, he gives us a chance to sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And when I don't live in light of that amazing grace, I'm acting as if I'm still in that debt that Jesus has already paid
and I'm not living under the control of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where this passage comes in today. God wants you to understand that his great commandment, that command to live in the light of his love and to become the love that he is, he wants you to understand that that heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough even to control your damaged emotions. The feelings of the Christ follower should be motivated by our obedience to the great commandment of Jesus. Our feelings should cause us to be moved with compassion. But it's your your choice. And I think that's why Jesus tells us this story. Look again at verse 33. In Luke 10, 33, it says, Then a despised Samaritan. We could spend our whole time just on those two words. Jesus chose to point out to his Jewish listeners, this person that you didn't even, you don't even like to look at. You don't like the fact that they're different from you. But they got it right. The despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion. We, we got to tie all this together, guys. Jesus, after describing the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then tells a story of a person who did that, who loved with his entirety. He was feeling compassion. Now, here's a little interesting tidbit. That phrase, felt compassion, is the same word in the Greek language used in other places in Scripture. I want to give you an example. Matthew nine thirty six. When he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In both cases, though translated a little different in English, in the Greek language, the word literally means moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. Think about what that means even in English. What we're saying is what he saw impacted him so much that in his gut, in the innermost part of who he was, he could not do nothing. He had to do something. He was moved by the love to a point that it led to actions. And next week, we're going to deal with those actions. But I want to ask that question today. How are your feelings motivating you to do the things God wants you to do? Is your heart broken by the things that break the heart of God? See, when we see what Jesus sees, our feelings begin to be moved by the things that move the heart of God. Oh, that word compassion. You know what it literally means? This is going to surprise some of you. It means to suffer with. So he was moved in such a way that he would suffer with them. Hey, that's the gospel, right? That's what Jesus did. He saw our need and he suffered on our behalf. But it also implies that this Samaritan, whether despised in your eyes or good in your eyes, what he felt when he was moved with compassion, may not have felt good 
Did you hear me? When he comes across this guy, no, long, no idea how long he's been there. He probably smelled. He probably looked bloody. He was probably different than he was. He probably wondered if he would even receive his help because he was a Samaritan. You see, feelings that move us to compassion may not always be good feelings. It doesn't always feel good to do what's right. But it's always right. We place way too much emphasis on feeling good. But Scripture doesn't promise that you'll feel good if you follow Jesus. It just promises that you will be right if you follow Jesus. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.